Oh, hello, human. Now, I know what you may be thinking. Oh my gosh, it's only been a week. This podcast never comes out weekly. In fact, it never even comes out on the same day of the week, not weekly. Well, (laughs) does that mean that this is a weekly podcast now? I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. I'm not going to make any commitments. The frequency of this podcast comes out at the frequency that my mind is working at (laughs) at the moment. And I do feel like I'm growing in some ways that could make it possible to do this weekly, primarily just with the, the way I show up to work and my attitude towards it and stuff like that. A big part of it has to do with the theme of this episode, which was recorded in July in Paris, France. And it was just a really hard one to edit. I posted some of the editing process on the Hello Humans Instagram, which you can take a look at to show you that some episodes need a lot of work. But let me start just real quick and take you back in time to set you up for this episode. So around this time in 2011, I decided to quit meth, as well as all the other drugs and alcohol that I was doing, but mostly meth. I had backed myself into a pretty bad corner. I was surely going to lose my son in the upcoming custody battle. I was probably going to go to prison for assaulting someone. And I didn't really have much to live for. Not to mention, when I quit the drugs, there was no happy left. It was like I had no happy chemicals in my brain. Life was gray and droning, and I was only sober basically to not go to prison and maybe get to see my son every once in a while. And so we did this, and I thought my life had just been doomed to this existence, this gray, dark existence where nothing was exciting, nothing was fucking worth even smiling about. And then I met this artist who called himself D. Young V. And he was a street artist. He did what's called wheat pasting, which is going home and working on these large scale pieces of art. And then under the cover of darkness, going out and gluing them to walls around the city. And there's something just beautiful about it. There was no editorial team. There was no gallery curators. It was just pure, raw expression. And it didn't care what you thought of it. It was gonna happen anyway. And remember, at this point, my whole life is bad news and sad news and punishment. I'm only sober as a punishment for all the shit that I had done before it. I had nothing exciting in my life. And I saw what this guy was doing. And I just said, I got you got to let me just come with you. I have to. I want to do this. Please just take me with you. And surprisingly, he just said, "Okay, yeah, well, we don't do this on the weekends because everyone's out, but. Why don't you just come meet me on Tuesday night? We'll figure it out. And it was on. And I was no longer bored. There wasn't enough time in the day to think about what I was going to put up that week. Matter of fact, every single place I went, I was looking. Oh, that could be a good spot. That could be a good spot. Maybe that's where I'm going to put something up. And I, there was no rules to it all. Two or three times a week, we went out with rollers, with glue, and with art. And we just glued shit to the sides of walls. And there was no one to tell us what to do or what it should be. There was no good art or bad art. It was just whatever the fuck we wanted. I glued pictures of jacks and little toy cars, glued pictures of pink gorillas 
skeletons with halos and wings. That was kind of like the main thing I was gluing to the sides of walls. And I was no longer Sam, this fucking loser with nothing. I was Sample 7, just some random bits of art around the city. And shortly after, I was introduced to Eddie Cola, who's today's guest and one of Dave's good friends. And all of a sudden, the narrative changed. My life wasn't about getting sober because I had fucked up and now I take it too far and now I can't have any fun. Life was about expression and going out in the middle of the night and just doing whatever the fuck you wanted to do with that sense of freedom, that sense of what would you, what art would you make if no one cared, if no one was watching, if there was no way for them to tell you if they liked it or didn't like it. And it was beautiful. These two older guys realistically helped keep me sober, even though they're not sober. But this is a huge part of my story. They helped me get my first art shows when I started sculpting, and they've just been mentors in my life. Today's guest is Eddie Cola, who is the second gentleman I told you about, and he's in a lot of ways like a father figure. He's fucking old enough to be my father figure, you old fuck. And I had such high quality mentorship from him, which was this guy who wasn't gonna tell me what to do but was just gently kind of guiding me in the right direction. Because if you think I'm flawed now, you should have seen me then. And so today's episode is called Nothing Lasts Forever. Here is the official introduction to the episode. Here's a phrase that we like to throw around. Nothing lasts forever. And it's true. And we really believe it, especially when we're telling it to someone else. But when it's our nothing that's no longer lasted, when it's our relationship or our job or something that was near and dear to us that's gone, well, just going, well, nothing lasts forever is a lot easier said than done. But our attachments can become our prison cells. And when we finally accept things as temporary and as is, and that they're gonna fade away and fall off the wall eventually, well, that is a real quick way to living a free life. And it's how I want to produce my own artwork again. It's a huge reminder to me. You wanna know why the podcast hasn't come out weekly? It's because I've been treating it like some sacred art that must be perfect. And I don't wanna make sacred perfect art. I just wanna create art. And if you don't like it, I'm sorry. Fuck you. Make your own podcast. And if you do, welcome to the How to Human podcast. My name is Sam Lamont, and this is my conversation with a good friend and mentor, Eddie Cola. Heartache and pain and joy and anguish and all those things. All of those things. All those things. And suicide. Are we going to get going to touch on suicide? We can if it comes up. It'll probably come up. It always does. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to get some dead air real quick. I don't need these anymore. Okay. Hey, man. Hey, what's up? Thanks for uh, coming on the program. Yeah, I should really you're, thank you for welcome. letting me sleep on this couch here. It's a lovely couch. It's and I think it's new. <laughs> it feels new. <laughs> it smells new. smells new. <laughs> it does. Um, so uh, this is a pretty big question, but I like to start it off this way. Rather than introduce you, have you introduce yourself and just who are you? Well, that's just that's just a huge responsibility. I know, but it's interesting to because know. Because I'm different things to different people. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, how would I introduce myself? Just who are you? Medicola. <laughs> I'm an artist. I live in California, sort of. I don't really live in California. Um, I have an apartment in California <laughs> that I'm never at. Um, I, uh, I'm an artist. I don't like to get into too much. I, I, you know what? I really don't like the, uh, to chop up the term artist into too many categories. Stop I'm an abstract now. expressionist. I'm a street artist. I'm an oil painter. You know, it's limiting. <laughs> So I'm an artist, so that would in, in, in incorporate anything that has a, uh, anything that there's a creative process involved in. Okay. So that could be whatever. It could be writing music. It probably wouldn't be dance in my case. I don't know. Are we still we're, yeah, aren't we that? still finding that out every day? The other day I said to Rachel, I said it's funny. Sometimes you look back at your past, even even recent past, and don't even recognize yourself. You know what I mean? You go through. I'm sure you could find periods of your life where you look back and you're like, that doesn't even seem like me. You don't have to go too far to get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. You know? And so so it's like, who are I don't know. You know, I think when when so who am I? I don't know. I mean, I'm 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 a guy who's happy when I'm doing what I want. I'm a guy who's happy when I'm not being told what to do. I'm a guy who's happy where I feel like I'm creating something that has some positive impact in the world whether that's writing something or making a piece of art or whatever, like that's what makes me happy and makes me feel like I'm me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So yeah, this one's uh, different. It's always different interviewing someone that I know because there's of course going to be this weird half the interview until it just clicks naturally. Right. Right. Because we have this familiarity. Yeah. And I've known you for six years. Yeah, now we have microphones in front of our faces, which is no. always weird. So um, I know you through street art. Right. And uh, we met through D. Young V. We met through D. Young V. And uh, he's a guy who just brings people together. He's like that. Does he? He kind of does. I said it sarcastically, but I think I actually meant it. <laughs> <laughs> how? Yeah, how'd you get here? Well, let's just start there. I don't know. You know, I wonder that myself sometimes. I things ha- occasionally I grew up in New Jersey. I don't go there very often, but occasionally I end up back there. And uh, when I go back to places that I grew up, it's like they're super familiar, but they're familiar like a movie I saw once. They're not familiar like they feel like they're a part of my life. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. It's a different sort of familiarity. But short story, like what? How did I get to be an artist? How did I get to? Yeah, how'd you get to here right now where you're doing this for a living? This is your purpose. Um, I went to art school, you know. I don't think, I think uh, it's interesting. You say like, oh, you know, I didn't get a fine arts degree because I wasn't sure that that was a viable thing. I didn't even think it was a possibility, really. I was going to apply to some college and take some fucking, I don't know, you know, major in something that my brothers or sisters majored in. I don't know, business, political science, something. I had no idea what I wanted to do. But my parents, probably both my parents, this was one of the few things I think my parents agreed on, (laughs) was that I probably wasn't cut out for that. 
but I did, I did always do creative things. So they, they actually kind of pushed me in that direction. Um, so I'm like super lucky that way because most people's parents probably wouldn't push them in that direction. They would say like, well, if you go to art school, what the fuck are you going to do with yourself? You know? But it's a my, good but, question. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it, it's it's a good question, but I don't, you know, they had the foresight to think that, like, you know, I remember my mother said to me one time, years later after I graduated from college, she was like, you, you well, she said it with, you know, her accent, you never would have made it. <laughs> you know, yeah. You wouldn't have made it through two years of regular college. And she was right. I probably would have dropped out. I probably would have. When I was a teenager, I had a job, a job that I actually liked. There were good people and everything, and I made decent money. But uh, I had a job uh, striping parking lots. <laughs> that's that's what I did. Um, and it was cool. You know, it was a cool crew. People were super nice. You know, we made decent money. We were kind of on our own. And uh, she's like, yeah, you, you would have just you would have just dropped out of school and went back to striping parking lots. That's like painting the... Painting the lines, yeah. Painting yeah, the lines yeah. on the parking Sometimes, lot. yeah. Sometimes it gets a little more involved. You have to do a reserved stencil or a handicapped stencil, you know. Yeah. Sometimes you have to number spaces. It's pretty complicated. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's what I was doing, you know. I mean, that's what I was doing with myself. So, but anyway, they had the foresight to to, to say that yeah, maybe you should do something else because I don't think that's really going to work out for you. So when I was like a senior in high school, I remember my mom came home one day and she said, uh, "I enrolled you in this uh, portfolio preparation class," and I was like, "What the fuck is that?" And she said, they, they like help you put together your portfolio to apply to art schools. And I was like, what are, I'm not applying to art schools. <laughs> you know? And she was like, yeah, I think you should. So I went, I went to this class. I didn't want to go, you know, because I didn't really. Like w when I was young, I mean, my, when I did art, it was quite separate from my life. It was like I spent a lot of time by myself when I was a kid. And art was kind of like something I did when I was by myself. But it wasn't something I did to share with people necessarily. I was drawing, I was doing all kinds of shit. I had this friend in high school. He went, he got into some summer program, like at Harvard or some, I think it was Harvard, like some esteemed place. He was a smart kid. Um, he got into the summer program, but he had this huge collection of porn magazines. And uh, <laughs> he was like, I'm going away for the summer. And uh, I can't leave my porn magazines in my room because my parents will find them. Can I give them to you to hold on to while I'm gone <laughs> for the summer? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I took his porn magazines, right? And then and then I like, you know, because I was like a teenager, I was just kind of obsessed with naked women. So I would start to draw the women in like, you know, whatever they were, penthouse, hustler, I don't know, whatever it was. And uh, make these drawings. And then I was like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll like watercolor them. And like, and I started doing like collages where I was just like tearing, was... tearing pages out or like, you know, like. Um, That's I did... where I thought you were going with it is that you started just ruining his porn magazines. I did. Well, I did <laughs> yeah. eventually. Cutting and, them out. And one, there was this, I did this big, I think I gave it to somebody for Christmas. I might have given it to my brother or my sister. I like had this big poster of Marilyn Monroe, but it, you know, it was just a regular black and white poster. Right. So I was like, oh, I'm going to like, I'll use that as the basis, you know, for the image, you know, but then I like started drawing all over it. And then I was like doing her hair and like, and then I found like the right yellow for her hair, like little pieces of yellow. Because back then all these magazines had these Newport light ads in them that had this specific yellow. So I started going through all the porn magazines and ripping out all the Newport light ads and uh, gluing them down. 
I did this big piece, but that was like that. But like, you know, so, so then, you know, you know, it, but it was funny. Like at one point it was like, oh yeah, you know, my mom, my mom was like, so like, uh, encouraging is like, oh yeah, he's going to go to art school. So she had some friends who were artists and, um, you know, it was like, oh, well, you know, my friend's going to come over, you know, sh show her some of, you know, your, your work, you know, so she can, you know, critique it or, you know, whatever. So I pull out all these drawings that were like, you know, they were all out of like porn magazines. So it was like all these big titted chicks, like <laughs> on a beach, like in watercolor. And like, it was weird. She was completely fine. Like she should have been like, I mean, I would have thought she would have been like mortified. Like she brings her friends over and I pull out all these drawings of like these fucking Exagger exaggerated, yeah, exaggerated, you know, you know, I mean, and I was a kid, so I really hadn't gotten to that point where I was considering the implications of, you know, that kind of body image and stuff like that. But yeah, so I pull out all these fucking drawings of like, you know, like, you know, nudie magazine shit, you know, chicks and tank tops washing cars. And, you know. But she was fine with it. She never, you know, she never apologized for me or anything. Oh, I'm sorry. And he ended My up son's fucking an artist. So, and I ended up being an artist, right? Um, but I would say I probably owe that a hundred percent to. Uh, I didn't think it was. I didn't think it was an option. You know, when I was in high school, like I liked doing that stuff, and when I was alone, that's what I would do to pass the time. But I never thought it was something you could do for a living. But my mom was good that way. You know, you know, we lived in New Jersey, and when when I was a kid, she used to take me to museums and stuff. Like, she took me to Met when I was little. So you, you, you end up in art school? I end up in art school. I go to art school. I get interested in photography. I went to art school with no idea what I was going to do. You know, I just thought, well, I want to do something. You know, but I didn't know what that something was exactly. I, you know, like when I was young, it was I wasn't particularly good at drawing or, or, or painting or rendering or anything like that. Like, I just like to make stuff, you know. So I would always sort of find a way to do that. It wasn't necessarily drawing or whatever um so when i got into college i became like super interested in photography and then i kind of really that was the main focus probably of, of the last two years of college and then when i got out of college i was you know i was working as a photographer's assistant i was trying to get photography jobs i was doing editorial photography jobs i was you know for uh i was freelancing for the new york times i was doing photography but the New York Times thing was great because all your relatives, want, you know, when you graduate from art school, everyone's like, all right, what the fuck are you going to do now? But when I got a couple of freelance jobs from the New York Times, like the New York Times was a thing like, it wasn't like some weird gallery in Soho, you know, like I could show the New York Times to my grandmother and it would be like, oh, okay, you're doing all right. Yeah. You know. Not that I was doing all right. I was fucking broke. But, you know, <laughs> but to her, the fact that her grandson got a picture in the New York Times, that was like, okay. It kind of validated the whole thing. Yeah, I think that's a big part of any artist's life is the fears of their, their the loved ones who are like, what are you doing? You know, please go get a stable job. Like, yeah. Because right. we love yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they don't want to see you like, you know, suffer. <laughs> <laughs> and so when it go from commercial art artist to starting to do your own thing i'm trying to think you know because like okay so you know i did that for a few years i was assistant as uh, as uh, doing a photographer's assistant i was doing that for a while um i was doing contracting for a while i was doing like interiors and sheetrock and i was refinishing victorians i was doing all this shit at the same time and and i was starting to get my own photo jobs so i was doing that 
So, I mean, I really haven't had, like, my entire adult life, I've never really, I had, like, one job job. And I worked at, at a, I worked at a Clairol call center in Manhattan. So when people fucked up their hair, they would call the hotline to get help on how to fix it. What's Clairol? It's like hair dye. Oh, okay. Like Clairol. <laughs> okay. I worked at Clairol. It's a product? And, yeah. Oh. It's a, you know, they make shampoo and conditioner and hair color and. All that shit. So yeah, so I was a, a customer service agent for Clairol for, but that's really um, probably one of the only jobs I've ever had since I got out of college, and that was like you know when I was twenty two, something like that. So then I did all these little bits and pieces jobs. I would just you know, I would make shit up. I would tell people I knew how to do stuff, and I didn't know how to do it, and I'd just go and you know. I mean, we didn't even have, you know, it wasn't even like the internet. You can Google, like, how do you build a deck? You know, I used to do all these odd jobs and I had this Reader's Digest book of home improvements. <laughs> so I'd run into some guy and he'd be like, ah, you know, I need my deck replaced. And I'd be like, I could do that for you. <laughs> you know? And, and you just replace a deck? I'd go home and I'd get out the book and I'd be like, all right. I mean, I had some skills, you know, I mean, it's like a mediocre carpenter and stuff like that, but I never rebuilt a deck, you know, or, you know, I could do electrical, I could do some plumbing, I could do sheetrock. Um, but I, I would literally take on jobs I had no idea how to do. And I, I would go home too. and I, I would look it up in the book and I'd be like, oh, this isn't that complicated and I'd just do it. And, I, you know, because back then it was like, oh, the guy's going to pay me, you know, I don't know. Back then it was like, oh, he's going to pay me $600, $600, like a lot of money. You know, so it's just like, I'm not going to say no to this. So I did that. And eventually I was doing enough photography that I didn't have to do that anymore. And that was good. But then I began, you know, I became sort of disenchanted with photography. Shooting other people's stuff. Well, it wasn't that, you know, I was doing a lot of music stuff. I was doing some fashion stuff. Um, I never really did product or still life stuff, but, you know, I was doing fashion stuff. I was doing, I was doing editorial portraiture. And after, when, when you do that for a living, you know, it, you get to a point where you're like, really like, you get burnt out and you're like, my whole fucking job is to make things look better than they are. And to make people look better than they are, make people look cooler than they are, make things seem more interesting than that. You know, I mean, that's part of the job. Um, You know, so it's, it's the equivalent of being like a professional liar at a certain point. Wow. So I just didn't want to do it anymore. Um. I don't make a huge judgment about it. I mean, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with photographers doing that for a living. I just didn't want to do it anymore, you know. So, like, took a break and, like, I'm trying to think what the fuck was going on. There. I had, like, a relationship for, like, five years that it ended. It was, like, one of those periods where you're, like, okay, like, you know, it's time to, like, reinvent yourself. So I kind of took a break from photography. It ha you know, I had a little money, like, not a lot of money, but I had a little money put away. So I was, like, all right, I'll take a break from this. And I was like, well, what do I want to do? So I started like screen printing. I started making T-shirts and I started just doing other things that weren't photography or they were photography based or whatever. I started doing stencils. And then so, so I started making posters and T-shirts and stuff. And it was around then that I was like, started doing street art. And then you start gluing stuff to the sides of buildings. Right. Well, then, see, I started screen printing after I was sort of uh, 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 disenchanted with photography. I started screen printing and making posters. And then I thought, well, yeah, maybe I'll start putting this stuff on the street. You see, like when I was in college, I was very much I wasn't really I was never really a commercial photographer. The fact that I worked for The New York Times was just like weird. 
I, I had a teacher at school who ended up being an editor at the New York Times, and he thought I might be good at it. I had no photojournalism background. I was really like kind of an art photographer or fine art photographer, whatever you want to call it. I really wasn't like a commercial photographer. But he just started giving me jobs. So it was weird. You never, like nothing ever goes the way you think it's going to go. No. You never, never in a million years have you asked me, you think you'll work for the New York Times? I said, no. There's no, because I'll never, I won't go to them. I won't ask to work for them. Da, da, da. <clears throat> when I first got out of school, I used to do the thing where I'd send my work around and send my artist statement and try to get gallery shows. It, it never went anywhere. No. Yeah. You know, I got in a few group shows and it's just, you know, you're young and you're like, oh, fuck, I'm in this group show. This is it, you know. And then nothing happens. so anyway the thing i always liked about public art was that you know you were completely in control of it nobody could tell you you couldn't do it you know what i mean and you could put it in front of a huge audience you know if you wanted to and it wasn't it wasn't a narrow demographic of an audience it was everybody so if you put it someplace where everybody's walking to work in the morning everybody sees it whether they like it or not and you didn't, you know, you didn't need to impress a gallerist. You didn't need to, I mean, you also didn't make any money doing it, but, but I don't know if I, that wasn't my concern. I wanted people to see at that point, I wanted people to see what I was doing. I wanted to see how they reacted to it. And I didn't necessarily want it to be people who were part of the art community. Yeah. You know, the art community is weird sometimes. I mean, it's like every other community, you know, <clears throat> it has its own, you know, I mean, there are little agendas and stuff in there. And so I wanted to see the other thing is I, I just don't think that, I don't think, I mean, I think some institutions do a better job of it than others, but at the time when I was young and probably a lot more arrogant, I thought like, oh, the fucking art world does a really shitty job of being inclusive. You know, you know, galleries are not necessarily inviting places. They're a little pretentious. Artistic, you know, art institutions don't really do their best in, in, in serving the greater community. And like I said, some institutions have done a better job of that recently than than perhaps they used to but i felt like the art community kind of failed in reaching the public so there was this divide so art was for one group of people and not for this other group of people and i think i grew up in that other group of people you know the fact that my mom took me to museums was weird you know none of my friends moms took them to museums you know that's not the world we grew up in but i thought that was a good thing so i thought oh well you know if more people were exposed to art i think that would be a great thing um, or could be a great thing, you know, just to open up people's eyes because it did for me, you know. Yeah, it did for me too. So I thought, you know, well, public art really does that. And also people are busy. So not everybody has, A, the money to spend $25 to go fucking MoMA, you know. And if you're, I don't, you know, whatever, if you're a single mom, you got two kids, $75, you know what I mean? And also people just don't have time, you know, people are busy. So you just put art on their way to work. <laughs> they don't have to go anywhere. <laughs> it's just there. You know, it can be powerful. You know, it can change. It, it, it changes the conversation. You know, when you're surrounded by advertising, you know, and you don't even see it anymore because the assumption is like, oh, there's a big sign. It's just trying to sell me something. Oh, there's a big fucking billboard. They're just trying to sell me something. And especially when you don't have any money. You stop looking at shit like that because you're like, well, I can't buy any of this crap anyway. So why do I want to see it like? You know what yeah. I mean? I don't want to see what the new Lexus looks like. Me neither. You know? I you know. I can't window shop. 
You know, like when I was young, it was like, well, I don't care what the new Lexus looks like. Like I jumped a turnstile to get to fucking work today because like I literally have a dollar thirty-five or you know, you know what I mean? To my name. But when you see an interesting piece of art, you know, that was something that you could relate to, you know, or possibly, you know, not necessarily, but possibly. Or enjoy. Or or just simply enjoy, right? So I always like that democracy of art in public places. Yeah. I yeah. love, uh, is that where the, so one of your most iconic images is the woman holding a stencil that says greatness. And behind her is the line, if you want to achieve greatness, stop asking for permission. Yeah. You know what? That's a funny thing. Like I just, um, I wrote that down like on a napkin or something, right? I was getting ready for a show. It was like, it was one of my first, cause I was doing street art and stuff. And I was like, I don't know if I can show in gallery, you know, I just, this is just something I do for like for fun. There was a clothing store that carried, I was doing t-shirts at the time, right? There was this clothing store that carried my t-shirts. And I had a partner, my girlfriend at the time was my, my business partner, a t-shirt business. Um, and, and the owner of the store asked her, oh, you know, is Eddie, would Eddie be interested in doing a show in the boutique? It was just a fucking clothing store. And I was like, huh, I really thought about doing a show, you know? But I was like, I guess I could do it. You know, so I said yes, and I don't know, I had six weeks or something to come up with a show, but I didn't have any pieces. And I had that phrase written, and I just wrote it down one day. I don't know why. It was just a stream of consciousness or whatever. And it was sitting on my desk, and I was sitting at my computer, and I was like, well, what am I going to do for this fucking show? You know, I was trying to come up with, like, what pieces I was going to do. And uh, Moy was there. And Moy picked up the napkin, and he was like... Uh, he was like, oh, what's this? He, you know, and I was just like, I don't know. It's just something I wrote, but it's kind of wordy. And I don't know. It's just weird. And he was like, no, no, no. Do a piece with that. And he's like, that would be a good piece. So a lot of your success depends on surrounding yourself by the right people. You think that? Yeah. And Moy's one of the right people. Yeah, he's I don't right. even see the Moy that often. But like, I mean, I used to see him a lot. But, you know, we live in different places now. and da, da, da. But Moy's one of those guys who like will make a small suggestion that completely changes your trajectory. <laughs> yeah, I know the type. Yeah. I mean, he's just one of those kind of magic people. You know what I mean? You know, not to say that other people are less valuable or anything, but Moy has this knack for like, hey, that's a good idea. Do that. You know, and then you do it and it's successful. Like that piece. Like, I don't know if I ever would have done it if it wasn't for Moy. That's wild. But he's he's kind of, he was kind of adamant about it. He was like, "No, that's the do that." So for for the listener, this is the iconic piece. It's been ripped off and ripped off, republished and recredited. And if you go on Amazon, you can get it on everything from a mouse pad to a throw pillow to a shower curtain. Shower curtain. I saw a shower curtain once yeah. with it on it. And yeah. it's not you didn't. My make only it. regret is that I didn't buy it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I wish I had one of those shower curtains. Um, T-shirts, whatever. It was the thing with Walmart where it was getting sold on the Walmart sites. It's, it's, it's been all over the place. And it almost didn't happen. And it almost didn't happen. So that's what I mean about surrounding yourself with the right people. As you work as an artist, I think at some point it starts to become like work again, right? Like just regular work where you can get tired or bored well, of it. Yeah. You, you see what happens is, or at least what happened for me was, you know, so like I said, you know, you're doing these fucking jobs, you're doing odd jobs, you're doing whatever you're doing sheetrocking or whatever. Right. So that's you, that's how you make your money. You know, it's like, okay, I go and do sheetrocking for eight or nine hours a day, you know, 
And then, you know, that's boring. So when you get home, you kind of want to do something to like feel like you're still a person, you know, or alive or what, you know, whatever, whatever you get out of it. But it changes then when you start to make your living off of it, it because does. then it becomes sheetrocking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, I don't, but that's a weird thing, isn't it? You I, love something. And then as soon as you become successful at it or you can make a living at it or whatever, then there, there's a sort of contrarian part of me that thinks, well, now it's not fun. Yeah, I struggle with that too. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody does. So, um, yeah, street art brings a whole new definition to moonlighting because you're actually running around in the middle of the night and you can't make money off of it. <laughs> so No, I mean, in you, fact, all you yeah. do is spend money. Yeah, <laughs> you spend money getting stuff printed. You either painting. spend money or you steal shit or, you know, it's none of it's great. Yeah. Know? But you just do it because, you, you know, and that's the thing that changes. You know, I used to have this conversation with DMV all the time where we talk about deadlines, you know, and then we'd start waxing sentimental and I'd be like, man, remember when you just did shit? Like, you didn't think anyone was going to see it. You didn't have a show coming up. It wasn't going to be in front of a bunch of people. You just, you, you had an idea and you were so excited about that idea that you wanted to see what it was going to come out like. Like, what's this idea going to be when I do it? Like, when it's actually a physical thing. You know, a long time ago, that wasn't for anything. I mean, there was no reward. The no. process was the reward. Like, even now, you know, you could be, you know, you could be, you know, nobody significant, but you could make something and you could post it on Instagram and get some kind of feedback. Validation, the, yeah. Validation or, the, or even the knowledge that people had seen it, you know. But before, there was none of that. So you would just do something and it was just, for the pure enjoyment of doing it, the excitement of doing it, or the just the boredom, and, you know, the tedium of daily life. You know, you would. How do you hang on to some of that, though? I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I struggle with it all the time. You know, once something becomes a job, then your meant your perspective changes about it. Right. So I'm on that camp where it's. Uh, I've quit so many things. I mean, I haven't made a sculpture in three years. Right, yeah. So you stop doing it. So you stop doing it, and. I don't want that to be the case, you know, like, what do you do to keep, cause it, you get disenchanted or it becomes less thrilling. And so you stop putting in the work cause it's a lot of work. And so how do you keep wanting to show up and do the work? Like, it, I don't know. I had this guy, when I was doing photography on a friend, Pete and Pete had an uncle <laughs> that was super into photography and Pete was going to school for photography. And Pete was like, well, if you love photography, like, why didn't you, try to be a photographer and he was good you know his, his uncle was good and he and his uncle and he told me his uncle said don't ever take something you love and try to do it for a living because <laughs> it'll kill it you know and here's me and pete we're trying to be photographers and we're like oh shit what if he's right <laughs> you know what i mean but i think he is kind of right and you just have to be excited about shit again you know but i mean i think that's the thing that you probably experienced and and me and dave still probably experience is that the thing about street art is there's just not there's no it's just you really you make all the decisions whether they're right or wrong you know you make the art you decide where it goes and it's there's no big fanfare there's no committee there's nobody saying oh you know that could use a little more blue you know <laughs> or you know what i mean there's no yeah. there's no too many chefs in the kitchen and it's ephemeral so 
You know, it's not going to last forever. You can't even get attached to it. You know, and that's a good lesson, I think, for that you get from street art. You don't get attached to things. Like you do them and then you put them out in the world and then they have their life, you know, yeah. and, and they'll get destroyed. And sometimes they get destroyed pretty quickly. And that's just part of it. I mean, you can't, um, but it's good because it, it, it destroys that concept of forever. I think that is a huge, complete advantage on the world if that's how you treat your craft. Because I'm trying to get there because to me, it's like, I think art is sacred. But in my mind, I build this stuff up as sacred. Like, oh, everything I'm working on is this sacred piece. This podcast is something sacred. The, my writing is this thing that's going to last forever. And what it does is really, really, I mean, if, if it was already going to be hard and not that much fun while doing the hard work, it really zaps the fun out of it because now the pressure is so high. Well, there's pressure and there's expectations. That's what I mean. About, you know, when you do street art, it's like, well, this thing isn't going to last forever. Maybe it'll last for a day. You start doing it. You don't even know how to make fucking paste. You go back like two days later and shit fell off the wall <laughs> and you just feel like an idiot. You're like, nobody even took it down. It just fell off because I'm bad at this, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and then also, you know, like when you start doing so you start, you go to galleries and then people start asking you, you know, fucking gallerists will be like, well, is this archival? And it's like, fuck, I don't fucking know. You know, like, well, you know, what materials did you use? And it was like, shit, that was laying around my house. I don't know. Some of it's house paint. Some of it's fucking <laughs> shitty spray paint from fucking Kmart. Acidic paper. So, yeah. Some of it's fucking paper, a bunch of glue. I don't know what's in it. Probably a lot of bad things, you know. And then they'll be like, oh, well, you know, you got to make your work archival. And when you're first starting out, you know, I mean, my whole thing with that was just like, my work has to be archival. It's like you're going to buy a fucking laptop this year that probably costs you 2500 bucks, And in two years when it's fucking obsolete, you're going to be like, that's reasonable. But you're going to buy a fucking like $100 piece of art for me. Like I'm going to make $100 on it. Yet it's supposed to last like 100 years. Yeah. And it's just like, fuck you. You know, you get what you pay for. People get weird about their art, man. No, like everything's yeah. got to last forever. I did a show a couple of years. Did you go to that show? Which know. one? Nothing lasts forever. Uh, no. no. That show is all about the process of, of just letting things go. You know, whether it's your art or your life or, you know, it's just the, this whole concept of forever is so, it, it prevents people from enjoying anything because it's this measuring stick. You know, when relationships end, whether friendship or, you know, family member that you don't talk to or anything, you know, we just discount it, you know, like... You know, this idea of love being forever or art lasting forever or and if it doesn't last forever, we're just like, oh, well, it's, yeah. your living situation, your current financial status. Yeah, like yeah. You know, we're always trying to, like, get everything to last forever. And the whole thing about chasing forever is, first of all, it's, in you know, forever doesn't fucking exist. And and if it does, that basically means it lasts, at least for you as a person, it lasts until you die so it's never actually realized. No. Because you're dead. <laughs> and you don't live that long to begin with. You don't live that long to begin with. But, you know, it's impossible to achieve. And and it's it's more impossible to realize because the only way you could realize it would be if something lasted until you were dead. And once you're dead, you don't even know it lasted or not. Yeah. Uh, but all these transient experiences, all these ephemeral things that happen to us, you know, that's what life is, you know. 
it's not about the things that are necessarily enduring. I mean, you could ask anybody, right? They could, they might have a, you know, they might have friends in their lives that they've been friends with since grammar school, et cetera, et cetera. But everybody has a few of these things where it's just like you had a day, you know, somewhere with a person. And maybe you never saw that person again. It's just coincidental passing. Maybe they were from somewhere else. Maybe they left soon after that. Maybe it was maybe it was just, you know, whatever it was, and nobody ever called the other person again, you know, and you spent a day together, you had an experience together, just some fucking thing, you know, and like a lot of those weird experiences, you would say like, well, it was nothing, you know, it was just this weird day that was out of the context of the rest of my life. But for some reason, you carry it around with you for the rest of your life. Or you look back on it, you know, or you... you, you <clears throat> so we had some technical difficulties while recording this episode and the batteries died. So I'm just going to take this moment for an intermission to say, if you like this program, you could consider following us on social media. Our handle is at hellohumans.co for Instagram and Facebook. And you'll know when there's a new episode and also see behind the scenes magic as well as other cool things. Also, writing us a review on iTunes is a big help, and it lasts forever, like diamonds. Also, this program is audience-funded, and you can become an audience who helps fund this program by going to patreon.com slash hellohuman. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash hellohuman. And anything helps. A buck a month helps. And a friend told me that she was able to do all three of these things in under 10 minutes and it's a huge help since we are audience funded and don't have sponsors we are sponsoring other creatives and this week's creative we are sponsoring is cam mckeller whose music was actually in the intro i bet you didn't know that that was an independent artist in there and the full song is at the end of this episode and cam hasn't made music in a few years and so we could bombard him with love and say, let's go, Cam. We want more music. And all his information is in the podcast description. Back to the show. I'm good. Okay, so <laughs> we were just we're, we were just we're talking about we're, we're just, back. Yeah, we're back. It's fucking amateur hour here. We ran out of batteries. <laughs> so my well, we flow's were, gone. I yeah, got nothing. I know. We were just talking about nothing lasting I'm just going to have to start back when I was a kid. Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> So we were just talking about nothing lasting forever. That includes batteries and, you know. No, yeah, that, no, that's very apropos. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> the battery's running out in the middle of me pontificating about forever. And it's no um, big, it's, it's no big deal. It's not it's like I flew, <laughs> life fucking goes no, on. It's not like I flew to Paris to do the interview or anything. No. no. But um, did you even mention that? We're in Paris, right? Now. <laughs> we are in Paris. Yeah, yeah. we're in Paris. Well, that's, that's part of my actual like growth right now is like not taking that any of this too seriously because I'll destroy myself. Uh, yeah. seriously in what way? Like the battery cut out and it's like, I could easily just start. I know you can't do that. Emotionally flogging myself like, oh, idiots. Man. I used to be more of a perfectionist and I was miserable. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't till I started to see the opportunity in, uh, in coincidence and, uh, misfortune. Yeah. <laughs> that I, that I became happier. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you never know. I think the, the battery probably, uh, didn't cut out anything good. Yeah. yeah you're on a terrible rant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's probably there's probably a reason it it died when it did. Um, so 
yeah, I'm interested. Like, what other lessons have you kind of picked up along the way? Because it felt like when we were hanging out, it, right. it felt like I was just getting like these big lessons that you had learned. And it, I mean, well, he, I don't know. I mean, the irony of when we first started hanging out is my life was one way, and right now it's different. So whatever I may have, uh, whatever wisdom I may have imparted to you was probably incorrect because you know, <laughs> shortly after that, the whole thing went fucking tits up. So. Um, <laughs> your long-term relationship ended. Well, it wasn't just that. I mean, really my whole life changed because it wasn't just, it wasn't just, um, it was, it was a unique sort of a relationship in that it wasn't just a relationship. We also worked together. We we're also business partners. We also created a couple of companies together. So, you know, people have, you know, a romantic relationship or, or whatever, but they have separate lives. You know, one person goes to their job every day. They come home and after work, you know, but in, in our case, I mean, it was really, everything was interweaved, you know, in a way. So if you have a relationship like that and it falls apart, it does, there's not an aspect of your life that's still intact. So in other words, if I was, if I was an accountant and I broke up with my girlfriend, <laughs> that wouldn't really affect my job as an accountant. Right. You know, but, uh, you know, so the company's disbanded. Um, you know, we owned a shop, we owned a gallery, that all went away. Um, everything changed. Now, that said, in retrospect, I think it was a blessing in disguise. It only took how long to, to see it that way? Oh, years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. yeah. It didn't happen like the next day at all. Um, I mean, I think it was a blessing in disguise. I wasn't particularly happy with it. You know, like everything has its useful period of time. So I stopped doing photography. I started printing. I started doing street art, you know, at the time. And and this is one of the, the best lessons that I learned was like, you know, even when you're doing photography, I was a freelancer. I didn't necessarily have a boss, you know, I had different clients and stuff like that. But there's still always somebody telling you what they want, how they want it. Do this. Yeah, uh, you know, we want it like this. Making suggestions, which is fine. Um, but I don't really work very well that way. Like I'm much better off if you just leave me alone and let me do what I'm going to do. And not even because people's suggestions are bad, but just because I have issues with authority. So the minute somebody starts telling me what to do, I get pissed off. And then when I'm pissed off, I don't really make good work. You know, I just get resentful. So when I started making t-shirts and I was like, oh, fuck, you know, like these things are selling. I can make a living this way. Like that's what I was using the t-shirts basically to make street art. So you use the t-shirts as a way to make money so that I could do art that I wasn't making money on. Yeah. So it was good. It was, you know, it was great. But then you get to a point, your career advances and da da da, da and, you, and then, you know, the T-shirt thing continued to grow. The art career continued to grow. Then they were conflicting. I'd have a show to do, but then I had responsibilities to the company for production and whatnot and design. And it just got to be too much, you know. We had a store. We had a gallery. I was curating the gallery. Every month we had a new show. So I was really trying to find the next artist, curate a show, promote it, um, doing all this stuff. And then I was trying to do my art stuff at the same time. And it was just too fucking much. I was working like 80 hours a week. I wasn't even making that much money. I mean, I was grateful that I was making a living. You know, I was paying my bills. I wasn't destitute. But for the amount that I was working, I wasn't making a living. 
If you started to divide it up into an hourly wage, it, it wasn't impressive. I mean, if you work 80 hours a week at McDonald's, you can make a living. <laughs> so I, I remember uh, when that when that first, as, as uh, I like the way you said it, when it first went tits up. Yeah. I remember seeing that because it's weird. It's weird to see somebody you look up to struggle. I remember this. Struggle. This is interesting. And I, I actually remember what fucking, it was right. It, it, I think we met up on Halloween that year. Yeah. And uh, and that was probably a couple weeks after everything sort of fell apart. And I remember being on the phone with you. This is funny that I remember this because I, I don't. You tell me a lot of stories about shit that we did or said, and I don't fucking remember them. But I remember this. You were like, you were like, dude, like you're single now, and like you know your art career is going good, and you can travel, and you were like, I'm super envious of you. And I was thinking, like, really? Because I feel like everything just fucking fell apart. <laughs> and, like, I'm just ready to fucking call it a day, <laughs> you know? Um, but I remember you said that. And then I was like, oh, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah. I was like, maybe I should try to look at it, you know? I don't want to take credit for anything, but look at you now. You're traveling the world. <laughs> I know, you're right, you know? I don't know. You know what? I remember... Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's funny because you get, you know, you have your own personal feelings about things and whatnot. Uh, so anytime you experience loss, like, okay, so the the businesses went away, the store went away, the gallery went away. So all those responsibilities went away. But in a way, you know, you feel really like you feel shortchanged because it's this thing that you really put yourself into, Yeah, you know, and even though it wasn't making you happy, I think it's hard to accept that it went away, but it wasn't your decision. Not on your terms, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, but it doesn't matter, it went away. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, you could have leukemia. Um, <laughs> and so long as it went away, you'd be happy. You wouldn't care if it was the way you wanted it to go away or whatever. So, you know, maybe, maybe the shopping gallery were leukemia. Oh, I got dark real quick. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? I don't, it's, it's a funny thing, but you said that to me. And then immediately after that, I started traveling. Um, you know, I was going to different places in the world. I was doing street art. Um, for whatever reason, it was like this thing. And I can't ever really explain why this happened immediately when things fell apart, like immediately, like within days, I just started getting opportunities. Isn't that weird? It was like the universe was like, don't do this. This is good that this went away. You have the, here's the thing. I went to, uh, um, okay, so so I was in this relationship. The relationship wasn't going great for a while. Um, at some point, um, you know, my girlfriend wanted to go to couples therapy. I'm not a strong believer in that because I think if you get to the point where you can't have a fucking conversation with the other person and you need a, a mediator, or, you know what I mean? Then really you've sort of, gone past it i've had some great experiences with couple therapy but yeah. then again none of those relationships have lasted but did you ever go oh i mean i thought i was a pretty good boyfriend it was important to her so i was like i'll go i'll participate i won't be snide and like sarcastic i'll go and i'll do the stuff you know if it's important to you i'll do it and i did so we went you know nothing fucking changed so Everything sort of falls apart. 
while I'm I'm away on this trip, as things often do. Yeah. So I, you know, I was doing the gallery. I was making fucking shirts. I was fucking running myself ragged. Like my fucking body was worn out. My fucking brain was worn out. Everything was worn out. You know. Um, I was like out of shape. It was like you know, like it was like you know, my, my pleasures in life became like, oh, I got like 45 minutes. I can watch TV and just eat a bag of Twizzlers just to make myself feel better, <laughs> you know? And I don't even like television. Um, <laughs> but that's what I was doing. That's how I was getting through the day. Um, so anyway, so I'd gone on this trip with a few friends, uh, Night Owl 20 and Caratos, uh, who was here from Hong Kong just by chance comes along. So we decided we're going to go down to Salton Sea, which is like this abandoned, you know, post-apocalyptic looking place in California. And we're going to go down there. We're going to do street art. So we're going to go for like three days, right? So we go down, we put up a bunch of art in these fucking half torn down buildings and da, 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 you know, and it was awesome, right? And I come back and have a solo appointment with the couples therapist because she used to do that. She would like, you know, you'd, you'd have your, and then she'd want to talk to you individually, yeah. you know. So I had my little individual session, right? So I come back and I'm like, I'm like, fuck, man. Like, I went on this fucking three-day thing with a couple of my friends. We went down. They were just doing art, roaming around the fucking desert, doing this shit. And I was like, that's what I want to do. Like, I don't want to own a shop. I don't want to fucking run a gallery. Like, I literally, this is what I want to do. Like, it was like this fucking uh, epiphany, right? And I was like, that's what I want to do, but I can't fucking do it. You know, and she's like, well, why can't you do it? I was like, well, I have these businesses to run. I have a gallery. I have a shop, blah, blah, blah. So here's the fucking irony, right? So I come back from the trip and I'm bitching and moaning that I can't fucking go and live the life I want to live because I'm stuck in this thing. While I'm on the trip, the girlfriend starts fucking around with some dude. So that all fucking blows up within like a week or so. Now I'm back in the therapist's office and I'm like super fucking crushed, you know, and I'm like, oh, dude, my whole life fell apart. And the therapist and the therapist is like, she was like, this is insane. She was like, you came in here like a week and a half ago and you were like, here, I, I you know, I found the thing I want to do and I can't do it because there's all these obstacles. And she, she's like, it's like a fucking miracle. It's like 10 days later and everything you described as an obstacle is gone. And you're crushed. And I'm crushed. I couldn't see it. Like I couldn't see the gift in the in it's the so, in it, the tragedy. It's so funny when things aren't on your terms that all of a sudden they're tragic. Right. You know. And you know, like I you know, it just mirrored a lot of other just in general issues that I had with relationships from the past. Yeah. Like anything, you know, anytime I mean it's always scary like when something is recurring. Trust is a is a big one too. Yeah, yeah. When trust is broken and it it can really haunt your future. Yeah, yeah. you know, and it, you know, I mean, it's issue. You know, I mean, it just becomes a lot of things. But yeah, I mean, it was kind of a miracle, right? I yeah. had this experience. I decided I wanted my life to be this other way, but I couldn't because there were these obstacles. And like, I mean, it's like that fucking movie, The Secret. Yeah, it's like you think about it, and it just happens. Unfortunately, I couldn't see it as a joyous occasion. For a while. Yeah, for a really long while. Yeah. It, it's Because funny. it was just too painful. I mean, at the time, it was just like everything that you thought your life was just 
went away. The businesses went away. And like even the businesses, it was like they had outlived their usefulness. Like there was a point in time where they were great, you know, and they really served their purpose and they outlived their usefulness. But when you put like eight or nine years of your life into something and it just goes away, that's like a little hard to take. Even if it was something you didn't like. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's weird. So anyway, so I come back from this trip and uh, and everything goes tits up. And uh, but suddenly I have the 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 option on a platter in front of me to do what I was claiming I really wanted to do a week earlier. So I kind of went with that. But I remember you calling me and I remember you saying that. And I remember briefly talking. Do you know Zoltron? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know him personally. I know his work. I talked to, I was on the phone with Zoltron for like a minute. You know, Zoltron's one of these guys you only hear from about every year. (laughs) And uh, he was like, what's up, man? And he was like, what is going on with you? Because I was like, you know, went to Thailand, went to France. I was going to all these places, right? And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, he used to sell shit, some shit at the store. And he's like, what did he say? He was like, dude, you should break up with your girlfriend more often because <laughs> everything just got awesome. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, it's not that awesome. It's not. I mean, so I'm still like processing my breakup. Which was how long ago? Three months ago, two months ago. We'll do the math. How long was the relationship? A year and a half? I don't know. You're an, year you year and you and fucking half. know. Year. Shut up. I don't know. You know. Uh, you don't know when you started dating. No. At all. We live, I know a year. How do you know a year if you don't know a date? I don't, I'm this sure it's bullshit. a year. God damn it, Eddie. Why? <laughs> I'm, I'm editing this all out. This is all standing. Yeah. But um, it was a good one. It's a good stretch. So I've had longer. I've had a four year relationship. That's nothing. Nothing. I, well, come on, man. Why do we have to compare? My heart. <laughs> just, my heart. It hurts. Fucking heart. I bet uh, it does. Um, but, and so I'm in that same place where it's like, it's, Fucking, it's so you're three months into a year and a half relationship. Three months out. Of a year and a half relationship. Yeah, or whatever it was. A you, year got, you got like another six months. Yeah. It's half It's half the... It's, here's the thing. Here's the thing that fucks you up. Because you know there's that thing, right? Takes half the length of the relationship. No, right? I don't say that. To get over the relationship. Completely. Right. Well, I'm. I feel like what you're describing, I feel like things are weirdly happening like it's there's these moments tend to be such huge moments for growth and for change in general because like your world gets shaken up and all of a sudden yeah and you know i am in paris yeah right like here i am in paris you were just like i don't even know if you're joking or not you're like yeah you can stay on the couch if you want and i'm like okay i bought the ticket no, because one of the things, one of the things that I do when I travel is, is, is to some extent, because I think travel has done so much for me, you know, I didn't do it much when I was younger. I regret that. I, I don't know if I saw the value in it, you know, but once I started to do it, I was like, oh, this is fucking awesome. So whenever I would go somewhere, you know, if I would go someplace, if I come here for a month or whatever, you know, like, like, remember I told you Dave came and visited me in Paris one time? Yeah. Like basically, uh, I had that apartment for a month, right? Dave came to visit. Sam Grant came to visit. Night Owl was there for a while. Swen came to visit. My buddy Dan from college came to, you know, it was always this thing like, well, as long as I've got this place, like make this an opportunity for other people. So me inviting you here isn't that 
strange. Anyway, I bought my ticket last week. Right. Show here. up here. Yeah. One of my old friends is literally staying a block away, just randomly. And so I, I love that feeling of being in the flow. It's a big world, you know. And the thing that like got me sold on it was, well, first, you know, I did that little trip with my friends, and that was fun. And then uh, immediately, soon after my relationship ended, Dave DeYoung V, uh, I was talking to him, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go to Thailand." And I was like, "When are you going?" <laughs> you know, and he was like, "I'm going in like." I forget what it was, two weeks or something. And I was like, can I come? <laughs> you know? And he was like, yeah, that'd be cool. You know, we'll go, we'll put up fucking work. We'll do, you know, we'll do the thing. And I went with him and I was in real bad shape. You know, I was like, not psychologically super good, you know? Um, and it was hard. Like, I mean, I laugh about it now, but it wasn't funny. And then like, as soon as we got to Thailand, it was just like, you know what? Not that nothing matters, but it's like you get this broader perspective, you know, like, like, I don't know, man, like places like Oakland just have a way of fucking just, they're so small and they're so, I don't know, myopic, I don't know. Well, it's easy to forget that there's. Yeah, there's the all this the other world. shit. So you get off the plane, you're in fucking Bangkok, and it's like, you know, it's like completely like night and day from where you came from. And like, you're just in this place where you're like, you know what? None of that shit matters. Like, nothing that happened there matters here. You know? And I don't know. I can't really describe it, but it completely changes your perspective. I would say probably the only mistake I made in the beginning is I kept going back to Oakland. <laughs> so it became this thing where I would go, you know, I'd go here, I would go there, and I'd be gone for a while. And then every time, I remember the day I came back from Thailand with Dave. It got, you know, we got to SFO, I caught the Bart. You know, Bart came out of the tunnel into West Oakland. And I was just like, fuck. You know, it felt like somebody put a safe on my chest. It's yeah. like, what the fuck am I doing here? You know? But, you know, once I did that trip with Dave, I was sold. Yeah. As an artist, like, what do you see your, your role or your purpose is? I mean, I, I know people that they just make really cool looking stuff, but that's not, that's not what you're doing. I don't know. You know, I try not to think about that too much because I think problem with that is if you start to think about what your role is, um, it starts to dictate how you do what you do. Um, you kind of start to create a set of guidelines for who you are and what you should be doing. I don't think that necessarily aids in the creative process too much. So where do you like to create from? Um, you know, it's interesting, you know. I mean, there's, you know, there's a sort of cognitive side of what you create. You know, what am I, what am I saying? Or what, or, or what? emotional qualities am I putting into something or whatever, you know? And then there's this whole other part of your brain that's just visual. And I think part of it's just trying to make those two things resonate together. Mm. You know what I mean? It's a little bit like making a chord, you know? It's like you need, you need like the three notes that really just sound right together. So it's like you need this visual aspect, but then you also need this sort of, uh, you know, emotional or or you know intellectual aspect and they all kind of need to kind of sound good together 
Yeah. One of the things that you were talking about at lunch today, which I thought was fascinating, is um, how lucky you feel for being successful and how like you're wor- you're working through the guilt of that. Not just the guilt of it. I also have this jinx complex. I think in the early part of your life, you sort of fucking formulate your identity, you know? So if your identity is like, oh, I'm always the guy who gets fucking shortchanged. I'm always the guy who gets overlooked, you know? I'm always the guy who's not appreciated or whatever it is, you know? I'm always the guy who can never pay his rent. As bad as those things are, they're comfortable because you're familiar with them. So when they change, you enter into... Um, a certain level of discomfort. So if you start making enough money where you don't have to worry about money so much, it feels weird. You know, I have a really weird relationship with money. It makes me uncomfortable. Me too. So I often spend it really quick just to get rid of it. (laughs) (laughs) Because it makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) I also have a hard time viewing myself as like someone who doesn't have to worry. Not that I don't have to worry about money, but but not the way I did when I was young. You know, I have a hard time with that. You know, that doesn't seem like me. You know. Yeah. <laughs> like I see myself as like, ah, you're the guy who always has to struggle. But I think that that's what happens, you know. I mean, you get into this point and you, yeah, I mean there's a certain there's a certain thing of guilt involved in it like you feel like you don't deserve it, you know? I don't know why. I, can't, I don't know why that is for me. I feel like I don't deserve it or, you know, you go through these things where you think you're a fraud. I Yeah, I, I struggle I mean, I think that. a lot of creative people go through that. You know, you think, oh, you know, it's just, it's just around the corner. This is the exhibit where I'm finally going to be found out. <laughs> you know, this is the one that everybody's going to come in and be like, oh, this guy has no fucking talent. This has all just been fucking smoke and mirrors. There's nothing there. You know, you have like these unreasonable things. And then there's the jinx thing, which is that for me, it's just like, I always think when, like when my life sucks, I don't worry about a fucking thing. Me neither. You know, it's so comfortable when I'm like at the bottom, I'm just like, yeah, I'm not concerned about anything. Cause Whatever I have right now, if it went away tomorrow, I couldn't fucking care less. (laughs) You know, like you're not attached to anything, you know, and it's even like, and you're sort of miserable. So you're like, dude, if I die tomorrow, I wouldn't even feel that bad. I'd be like, thanks. You did me a favor. But when your life starts going good, then like it makes me super uneasy, you know? Um. You know what I mean? Because then you're yeah. all of a sudden like, oh, fuck. Now there's shit that I care about. So or now there's stuff that I don't want to lose. I'm literally, that's literally what me and my therapist are working on right now. Is like, for whatever reason, I take things 90%. And as the outside world starts to change, like this program is getting closer and closer to really just paying for itself, include not just. So chances are we're right at that cusp and this will never air because you're going to give up on we it. We are at that cusp and like the, the spacing in between podcasts has, has gotten bigger because it's harder to show up. And really what it is on its own, I have a track record of, you know, things not working out, but individually they all have a good reason for it. Right. Like why, right. why I didn't finish college or why I don't make sculpture anymore. Why no, I, I mean, I, I hear exactly what you say. Yeah. When I was younger, I think I did the same thing. I could, I could tell you about five different projects. 
that were good projects. And for some reason, I just got, I don't know if I got spooked or, but like right, yeah, like right in the final lap, I was just like, eh, I'm just going to put this yeah. aside for a while. No, so that's where we're at, right? We're at that self-destruction, like everyone's going to find out I'm a fraud. I can't possibly maintain this. Oh God, it's starting to. I'm not comfortable being successful. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. even like successful, but just the, the as we get closer to it. Yeah. It, no, no, no. I know. But like yeah. even, even anything that sort of resembles it. Yeah. It's true. Like, I don't even like it, you know, when, 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 uh, you know, I mean, in recent years I've done better than I have in the past. You know, Do you feel better of, about your work? You know, my work's funny. I, I never feel anything about my work until my work's about a year, 18 months old, and I haven't seen it for a while. And I go back and look at it. Because a lot of times when you're working through a process, you just like something because you're like, oh, that's new. You know, there's a novelty to it. Like, that doesn't seem like something I would do. And I did it anyway, you know. But that doesn't mean it's good. That's that's an internal dialogue. That doesn't mean it was good work. But once you get about a year, year and a half away from it, and you haven't looked at it, you haven't seen it in a while, you go back, you look through some pictures. Yeah. That's when you decide what was not bad. Right. You know. And, and sometimes the things that you thought were good at the time, you're like, what was I thinking? That's I hate fucking that, yeah. crap. You know? And then other times, things that you thought weren't very good at the time, you're like, there's actually something to that. That is the truth right yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. So um, so it's weird. So I try not to judge it while it's happening. I just accept the fact that this is what I'm making right now. And I'll do the best that I can. Um, but I'm not, I'm not going to make any, any decision on whether I think it's really good or not until some time passes. But I think the thing about being being afraid of being successful, as, as for me at least anyway, it has a lot to do with what your identity is. If you don't identify with success, then success is a very uncomfortable feeling. And I don't mean like success. I mean, I'm not fucking driving some fucking, you know what I mean? I drive a fucking 88 Volvo. I live in East <laughs> Oakland. I'm not exactly, you know, like living the fucking life. But, you know, to me, to, to be able to make a reasonable amount of money and travel as much as I do, my success is based much less on any kind of financial or material criteria and the fact that I've gotten to a point in my life where really I don't have to answer to anybody and I can do basically whatever the fuck I want whenever I want. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm not like, I don't come from anything fucking fancy. So like, you know, like on my birthday, like, right. So I went to, to like, there's still this, I remember the day I got to Thailand with D young V you know, and, you know, we're both fucking grown ass men, you know, <laughs> but like, you know, me and Dave didn't have like super fancy upbringings or anything like that. So like we checked into the hotel, we go to some little fucking bar around the corner, right? And he's having a beer and I wasn't drinking then, but um, we're sitting there and Dave, like a little kid, he's like, dude. We're in fucking Thailand, <laughs> you know, with like this excitement. And I felt it too. I was like, yeah, that's fucking awesome. Like we're little kids, you know, like we like did a grown up thing. And I think it's like that. So like just the fact that like, you know, like these little things that I think people would probably, most people my age wouldn't think much of them. You know, I think there's a lot more magic out there, but mm -hmm. it's, it's easy to overlook it. Like, yeah. the, like the hotel room. You just get kind of numb. Or like, you know, it, it'd be easy for me to go, man, like I'm sleeping on this couch. It's not quite long enough for me. I got to curl up. Uh, but this is a magical experience. Yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah. I, you, I mean, you just do your thing. You know, I mean, like, like just, 
you know, and I, I never did any of those things when I was younger. It, it just didn't seem like things, you know, people like me did. You know, I, I didn't have that mentality. I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I can't afford to travel. I can't afford to go and see these, but I just didn't see myself that way. Yeah. You know, maybe I could have done it if I had, you know, taken some time and saved some money and, you know, been a little organized about it. Maybe I could have done it, but I, but I didn't see it. It just didn't seem like I was like, yeah, you're not one of those people. You're not a guy who gets to do that. You know, that was my idea of myself. But the fact that I can do it now is great. What do you think? So, yeah, you, you mentioned earlier that you think we form these beliefs about ourselves pretty early on. I think so, probably when we're teens. But obviously you're living against those beliefs. I have some beliefs that right now. <sighs> yeah, but my see, here's, here's the thing about my beliefs about myself. I mean, they're kind of, they're a little bit psychotic because... I'll say, and it's true when I tell you like, oh, I'm a guy who never believed that that was really for me. I didn't. I didn't think, you know, I was like, oh, that's not my, you know, that's not me. I'm the guy who never has enough money and always has to hustle and da 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 you know. But there's this other part of me that's totally contradictory to that belief where I, and this is going to sound, but I'll say it anyway because it's honest. There's always this thing in the back of my head where I was like, I know I can do something better than this. I don't know what the fuck it is, but I think I can do something really good if if everything just kind of came together or if I don't quit. And the not quitting part is key. Like, I'm very fortunate right now. You know, I can, like I said, I don't have to answer to anybody. I can do whatever the fuck I want. I can make my art. Nobody tells me how to do that. Um, I can make a living off of it, right? All that. So to my mind, that's success, right? That didn't exactly happen overnight, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it was like literally like 25 years of just not getting it right. And I think there's plenty of times where I would have given up. But I don't – here's the thing. I couldn't give up because if I gave up, I would have had to resign myself to whatever was in front of me was what – was that that was it. And I, I knew if I did that, I would just sort of really become depressed. Yeah. So I had to always have this thing in the back of my head, some grandiose vision that there was this bigger fucking thing. And it was like, you know, it's just over the horizon or it's just around the corner. You know, it was just, just a few tweaks away from happening, you know. But when that goes on for 20 plus years, you start to doubt it. You're like, yeah, maybe there's nothing really over that fucking horizon because... It's not happening. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, you know, in the most unlikely of circumstances, it happens. I think what I carry with me from our, our heyday together was like, enjoy the journey more. Like, it's not about the quality of the hotel room. It's about the drive to it. Well, in right. And at the time, yeah. I was in like, you know, it's like to go to, you know, take, for instance, we went to Long Beach and we did a couple of murals, right? You know, and like for me. Like, I was in a bad relationship. Um, and it wasn't just a bad relationship. I mean, it wasn't just that. I also had, like, an enormous workload. Every day I got up, and there were, like, fucking 20 things to do and time to do seven of them. And it was just super stressful. So anytime I could get out of the fucking house, <laughs> you know, and go and do, like, oh, I'm going to do a mural, and that's cool. I'll just hang out with Dave and Sam, and it'll be fun. You know, so anytime that happened, I was super excited. Plus, you know, I mean, I was in this environment where, like, you know, no matter what I did, um, 
I don't know. I mean, you've been, we've talked about this. You've been in relationships where, you know, you're in a relationship with somebody who you feel like their happiness is completely dependent on you. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't matter what you do. You know, you make a bunch of money, they're still not happy. You know, you create a business, you start, you know, you do these things, you get over these hurdles and they're still not happy. Oh, and even, and if, even if you succeed at like making them happy for a time, it, you can't sustain that. There's no way. No, I was literally yeah. in a situation, and I took it seriously because I think you have a responsibility as a partner in a relationship to, you know, at least consider the other person's happiness. But it was just a fucking, like, you know, I don't know if you've ever been, you know, it's like a moving target. <laughs> so, you know, you have somebody, and they're like, yeah, you know, I'm really depressed. We don't make enough money. So you're like, all right, let me think. How the fuck can I make some money? You know, so you come up with some ingenious <laughs> plan to sell a whole bunch of shit. I like, got a really telemarketing fast. job one time because I was told I needed to make more money. I, don't know. I would come <laughs> up with, I would just come up with stuff, right? So I'd like, you know, I'd figure out some marketing thing and all of a sudden, and, and, and like, luckily I was like decent at it. So it'd be like, ah, oh, you know, we're not making enough money, you know? So bam, a month later, we'd be making way more money, you know? Then it would be like, oh, you know, I feel like we never have any time. <laughs> You know, so then you'd be like, all right, well, let's, you know, we'll try and book a trip. Da, da, da. You know, then it was just, and I don't mean uh, like, but it's maddening. Yeah. It's maddening when it's a moving target, you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> My next relationship goals is simple, safe, and just secure. Where you don't, where that moving, moving target can be, it's exhausting, right? You never know what. I just don't want to be around anybody whose happiness is completely dependent on me. Yeah. Because that's just too much responsibility. And usually the only people who actually place that upon other people are people who are never going to be happy anyway. Dun, dun, dun. Life. Lesson. Yeah. So I really want to go see this French drag show. Yeah. With you. Drag queens. And so we have to get to that. But I like to end the program with this question, which is, and I've, I worded a bunch of different ways, but. You, I'll give you a couple of different ways to visualize it. One, if you could talk to a young artist who's kind of like completely lost, yeah. um, maybe like a less complainy version of young me, or if you had forgotten every single thing that you know that's important about the world yeah. and you could just record a little message to him, to either you who doesn't remember any of the stuff you've learned or to a younger artist, yeah. what, what are the most important things that you just want to kind of prime them with to live in a good life. I mean, it's funny because when you say these things, they all sound like cliches because there's something some older person said to you when you were young and it just sounded like some bullshit. Yeah, there's some truth to them, though, the cliches. Well, that's, that's why old people keep saying them to young people for like the last several hundred years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but honestly, I mean, I think, I think first of all is that, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, make your own rules, set your own guidelines. You know what I mean? Don't people, everybody's going to tell you how to do something, you know, but I never did anything the way anybody ever told me to do. And it worked out great. The, the more you can be true to yourself, the more successful you'll be as a human being, because I think a lot of what creates these fucking things about identity or self-sabotage or what, whatever is this sort of insecurity that, that we're not really fitting in, you know, we're not fitting into the bigger picture. But um, 
I mean, if you look around at the world, if you look around at the people who are important, there are people who change things in a positive way. None of them fit in. If they did everything the way they were told to do it, they wouldn't have changed the world. They would have just been cogs in the machine. So, I mean, if you have an idea and it seems fucking crazy, do it. Thanks for doing this, buddy. Yep. Okay, hold on, because you're in the flow. <clears throat> just going to re-ask a couple questions. Yeah. That's it for the interview in this episode of the How to Human podcast, which is produced by me, Sam Lamott, and our producer, Meg Schmidt. One of the songs in the intro is by an artist, Cam McKellar, who hasn't made music in a few years. So go to cammckellar.com, hit contact, and say, go make some more music, buddy, because we like it. All right, guys, have a good weekend. Obama won't keep you safe Dalai Lama won't keep you safe Instant karma won't keep you safe Blue-eyed charmer won't keep you safe Your Cheshire grin won't keep you safe Diamond ring won't keep you safe Only love is gonna keep you safe Only love is gonna keep you safe Politician won't keep you safe. Cell division won't keep you safe. Your religion won't keep you safe. Your ambition won't keep you safe. Daddy's money won't keep you safe. Your flat tummy won't keep you safe. Only love is gonna keep you safe. Only love is gonna keep you safe. Hold on tight. Everything's gonna be alright. Hold on tight. Watch the world spinning through the night. Hold on tight to the light Everything's gonna be alright Watch the empire falling down Dust to dust scattered on the ground Dust to dust scattered all around
dust to dust scattered on the ground, dust to dust scattered all around.